continued prophecy, 83 chapters. The final uh, chapters, uh, I don't think they're quite as interesting, quite as exciting as the first nine chapters, and uh, they may not contribute quite so much to the uh, general basic foundational teaching as far as prophecy is concerned, as far as the book of Daniel is concerned. Although they do have one or two very important, very important additions, additions to what he had been saying previously. Chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel. Now, you who have a New American Standard, we'll, uh, we'll take this, that up in just a minute, but whose name was called Belshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing, and had understanding of the vision. In whose days? In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine to my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river, which is Hidekel. That's Tigris. That's the Tigris River. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man, clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphrates. This body was also, his body also was like the bearer, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words were like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision. But a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone, and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness, that is my vigor, was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground, and behold, an hand touched me, and set me upon my knees, and upon the palms of my head. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand up, stand upright, for unto thee am I now set. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy word. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, and twenty days, but Lord Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, 
and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make the understanding what shall befall the people in the latter days, for, it, for the vision is yet for many days. God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Shall we pray? Our fathers, we come into thy presence this morning. Lord, we're grateful to thee for health and strength. We're grateful to thee for men like Daniel, instruments in thy hands that you could use, so noble, so wonderful, to understand your heart and purpose and to reveal these truths to us. Lord, give us always a hunger and a thirst to know thy word. Not only, Lord, to know it, but to put it into practice in our own lives to obey it. This is love. True love of God is not just words, it's not just thought. True love to God is obedience to his commandments. Lord, may we be obedient to thee. May we manifest our love to thee by humbly studying, reading, putting into practice, apply thy truth. Lord, we pray that you'll teach us something about prayer this morning as we look into the life of this tremendous man. Daniel, God, is my job. Bless each one of us here. Bless him in his home, in his business, in his church ministry. Lord, we know that many have concerns and problems. Meet their needs this morning, we pray. Meet our needs. In thy name we ask them. Amen. <coughs> now we come to the third and large division of the book of Daniel. Third and large division of the book of Daniel. Can anybody recall this? A little early in the morning, isn't it? What are the three large divisions of the book of Daniel? First one, I don't know how Dr. Crichton has it. Uh, the first one, of course, well, let's do something else. Let's uh, try to find chapter headings for these first nine chapters. I have found, I use this a good deal in, in teaching in school, is to uh, get the students to write down chapter headings, just a thought or two, just a thought or two from each chapter that will uh, help them remember what it is. And with a book like that, how, how many chapters does Daniel have? Twelve. Twelve chapters. Well, that isn't too much. Now, like a book with Genesis, and then they begin to gripe and mother grub around, you know, and it's 50 chapters. But uh, with 12, that's pretty easy. And these chapters aren't hard to, to get a, some short phrase. What happens in the first chapter of the book of Daniel? What? Yeah, this is what I put down. I saw that. <laughs> that is a... <laughs> I'm getting to the hot water here. But that isn't the principal thing of chapter 1. That's the first three verses. What's the principal thing in chapter 1? No, that is the principle. What's the principle? What's the key verse in chapter 1? There, you've got it, brother. 
In verse 8, in verse 8, Daniel says what? But I purposed in my heart not to defile myself with the king's food. Chapter 1 then deals with Daniel's personal history. Daniel's personal history. Daniel's test, that's the important thing, not the deportation. Well, that gives you the setting. That gives you the setting. That tells you where Daniel was and why he was where he was. But for the effects of our book, um, as we read this morning, uh, uh, the angel called Daniel what? A man greatly beloved. Why was he a man greatly beloved? See, the whole secret of the book of Daniel, the reason why Daniel was the man that he was, and why God could reveal to him what he did reveal to him, was why? Because right early in his life, he did what? He purposed not to defile himself with the things of this world. See? That's the reason why in chapter 10, where we are this morning, he says that he was a man greatly beloved. We'll deal with that. So, chapter 1, then, is a personal history. It's written in Hebrew. Then, what does chapter 2 deal with? Good for you. You're a good student. Ah, uh, yes. But that dream, the dream's all through this book. Dream doesn't tell you anything. Dream doesn't tell you anything. It was a dream of what? God, don't sit. Look at me. <laughs> the dream of what? What's that second chapter about? Keep on going. It wasn't, it was his dream. Well, what's the dream in two about? All right, an image. There's a better word than image. What else? Uh, that chapter two. That chapter two. Now remember this. Put this down somewhere. Chapter two is the statue and the stone. Invariably, invariably. I find, as students uh, uh, do this for me, that they call this an image, and they forget entirely the stone. What's the important thing in that chapter two? <coughs> the stone, of course. What does the stone represent? Jesus Christ and what? Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You see, Daniel is the greatest book in the world of the godless kingdoms of this world. The godless kingdoms of this world, and what? And the kingdom of God. You people way back there want to come up here? <coughs> come on, come on up here. You won't bother me. <laughs> Chapter 2, then is the statue in the stone. That begins, that begins the uh, Aramaic section of the book of Daniel. <clears throat> Go through chapter 7. Go through chapter 7. The Aramaic section. All right, chapter 3 deals with what? Can't spend too much time here, but chapter 3 deals with what? See, now that, see, that's another, well, that really isn't a drain. Chapter 3 deals with what? Yes. The image of gold. All right. Now, uh, I usually use that with, say, the image of the faithful few. You see, the important thing there was there was this group of, of Jews that did not bow down and worship. 
Nebuchadnezzar's image. Now there you want to use image. There you want to use image because that was for what? For worship. See, chapter 2 wasn't worship. So you don't call it an image. You call it a statue. A statue in the stone. Each one of those medals you remember represents a king and a kingdom. A king and a kingdom. All right. Now, chapter 4 deals with what? There's another vision, another dream, never to mess it. What was it? It was that great big tree. It was cut down. The stump was left. That's Nebuchadnezzar's what? Personal testimony. Here's a personal testimony of a conversion of a great Gentile king. Uh, why is this in this book of Daniel? Why is this in this book of Daniel? To show that in the time when Christ establishes his kingdom, some of Gentile kings are going to be what? That's it. Somebody said it. They're going to be converted. Chapter 4. Uh, trade is cut down. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony. How he came to know that God was not only a wise God, not only a, a, a God that could reveal dreams and interpret dreams, not only a powerful God that could save uh, his uh, children from the fire, but that he was his Savior. A tremendous chapter, chapter 4 of Daniel. Chapter 5 deals with what? Chapter 5 deals with what? Belshazzar's feast. That's the fall of the Babylonian Empire. Now, that chapter is there to show that when Christ comes, there are going to be other kings, other Gentile kings, and what? Will not listen. Will not be converted. That's the purpose of chapter 5. See, chapter 4 shows that there will be Gentiles Kings that will be converted will go in and enjoy the kingdom. Chapter 5 says that there are others that, notwithstanding all the opportunity they've had, 2,000 years of preaching the gospel still will not listen. See, that's what Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar. Why, you've seen your grandfather. You, see, you saw what happened to him. You knew what his life was, and you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't listen to what he said. You're rebellious. You're stubborn. Your self-will. <coughs> Pleasure loving. He says there's just one thing for him, and that's complete, total destruction. For him and his empire. Cyrus came in. Chapter 6 deals with what? Daniel and where? Daniel and the lion's den. Chapter 7 deals with? Chapter 7. All right, the four beasts. <laughs> Everybody always says this. Four beasts are what? The important thing in chapter 7 isn't the beast. All right, the beast. The important thing in chapter 7, just like chapter 2, is what? Kingdom. All right, chapter 2. Now put chapter 2 and chapter 7. Chapter 2 and chapter 7 together. See? Chapter uh, 2 is what? The statue and the stone. Chapter 7 deals with the animals and the... and the... and the... Stone. Ancient of days. <clears throat> Animals and the Ancient of Days. Then who was this Ancient of Days? Who is this Ancient of Days? Jesus Christ. Yes, it's God and Jesus Christ. You see, the animals in chapter 7 are just exactly represent the same things that the metals represent in chapter, chapter 2. Each one represents a king and a kingdom. 
a king and a kingdom, a ruler and a rule, an emperor and an empire, an emperor and an empire. But you see, chapter 2 gives it from the human standpoint, chapter 7 gives it from the divine standpoint. In chapter 2, the kingdom of God, religion, was just a stone, worthless. In chapter 7, the kingdom of God was what? The wise, the prudent, the rational, ancient of day. Religion's important. Your, your vertical relationship is important. He's an ancient of days. He's a man. He's a person. The only rational thing is to submit yourself to him. That's chapter 7. Chapter 8 deals with what? Now we come a little closer. <laughs> What's chapter 8 deal with? The ram and the ego. Who's the ram? Who's the ram? Medo-Persia. Who's the ego? Greece. Chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. Chapter 9 deals with what? The 70 weeks. The 70 weeks. Yes, I think that that's the best. No? And I really hope you understood that. Because without understanding those 70 weeks, 24 to 27, now, every word, every word in that chapter is uh, contested. Well, that is, in those verses, 24 to 27. And this is what separates the men from the boys. This is what separates the men from the boys, is the interpretation, the interpretation of those verses, 24 to 27. The prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. What separates the covenant theologians and the dispensationalists, the pre-mills and post-mills and ah-mills, is all based right there in that passage. If you can't handle that passage, you're in really in hot water, difficult, as far as your eschatological, as far as your prophetic uh, program is concerned. It's absolutely necessary. Those, and to understand what the different uh, schools teach with respect to that, that passage. Very well. Then chapter 10, 11 and 12, deal with the final message, the final message, the final prophecy of Daniel. So you get the three divisions now. The first, of course, is the, is the personal history of Daniel. Then you have prophetic history from chapter 2, from chapter 2 to 628, the end of chapter 6. Prophetic history. Then you have prophetic visions, prophetic visions from chapter 7 to 12. From chapter 7 to 12. Now, let's look at this final vision now. I want to outline this final vision. I want to outline, just briefly, this final vision. Chapter 10, from 10.1 to 11.1. From 10.1 to 11.1, you have the prologue <clears throat> From 10.1 to 11.1, you have the prologue, or the preparation, the prologue, or preparation. From 11-2, 11-2 to 
Eleven two. You see that? Why didn't you follow? That Eleven two to twelve four. You have the prophecy. Eleven two to twelve four. You have the prophecy. That divides itself, verse 2 to 35, verse 2 to 35 is the immediate future. The immediate future. 36 to 12, 4. 36, verse 36 to 12, 4, you have the remote future. And then, 12, 5, 12, 5 to 13 is the epilogue. The postscript. So you've got the preparation, the prophecy, and the postscript. Or the prologue, the prophecy, divided into two parts, divided into two parts, the immediate future, and then the remote future. And then the remote future. And this is the gist of this final section. Now, Dr. Craig has asked me to speak four times in about four weeks and he'll be away. And so we're going to try to handle this in four, in four studies. As you notice in the chapter today, we're going to divide the chapter today into two parts, into two sections. First, I'm interested because Daniel was a great man of prayer. He was a great man of many things, but he was a great man of prayer. Prayer is a real needy thing in all of our lives, and especially men, busy men. They find a time to do almost everything except pray. And here we have a most interesting thing now in prayer. And uh, so I want to take the this morning dealing and developing with this. We get the setting, and then we'll see how God met the needs, the burden of this man, and how God met his needs. Then, at the last part of our reading this morning, those verses uh, 13, 14, 15, <coughs> you saw a most interesting thing. This is a most exciting chapter, and uh, I, I want to have more, a little more time to develop it. And uh, I want you to maybe do a little more thinking about it. Uh, now, next Friday morning, I think uh, well, you'll have an opportunity really to blow your mind on this whole thing. I have entitled this chapter, Chapter 10, Angelic, Angelic Agencies. This Chapter 10, Angelic Agencies. <clears throat> You see in this chapter that there are two forces. There's a force of darkness and there's a force of light. You have good angels fighting against evil angels. Good angels against evil angels. Just very briefly, uh, Daniel prays the prayer zoom immediately is heard in, in heaven. We know something about traveling 18,000 miles a second, but uh, his prayer was far faster than that. Uh, you've got your orbiter explorers around Jupiter, you know, 400 million miles, but it took months. Daniel's prayer got to the heart of God instantaneously. 
But for the answer to come back, whew, ran into problems. And Jelly B Prince of Persia stopped the answer being brought by the angel back to death for three whole weeks. And it was necessary that another angel, Michael, come and help Gabriel to get through this angelic... There's a personal aspect in this chapter. That's what we're going to deal with this morning. But there is also a political... There's a political aspect. that what happens here upon earth is just a reflection, just a reflection of what's happening in heaven. There are wars in heaven, and they overflow to the earth. There is an angelic agency, a good agency, and an evil agency. And they clash. And the repercussion of that is felt here upon this earth. Come back next week, try to. Lord willing, we'll develop this. Not only on this passage, not only on this passage, but also in many other passages in Scripture, in many other passages in Scripture, the spiritual world is the background of the historical world. The spiritual world is the background of the historical world. But this morning, we're interested, rather, in this personal experience of Daniel. Uh, a personal experience. Next Friday we'll draw with the political aspects of this. The angelic, supernatural aspects of this chapter. A unique chapter uh, and most interesting. Read carefully uh, throughout this week. Try to find some other illustrations of the same truth. There's a number of them. All right, got your Bibles open now? We'll take up chapter 10. We'll take up chapter 10. Small a, the setting, the setting. Verses 1 to 4, the setting. Verses 1 to 4. All right, underneath that, the time, the time. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Oh, I believe you remember what happened. You remember Belshazzar was on the throne, chapter 5. And you remember that uh, uh, Cyrus came in. Uh, probably through a conspiracy, probably through a conspiracy between him and the priests of Babylon. That is the idea that uh, he diverted the river Euphrates or Tigris and came in under on the dry riverbed is uh, questioned today, very much is questioned today. They feel more because there was a steel that was found there was a tablet that was found that described that uh, the priests of, Bel of uh, Babylon were thoroughly dissatisfied, thoroughly dissatisfied with Belshazzar. He just didn't give them proper prestige. So they were conspired against him. They betrayed him to Cyrus and his army. And Allah opened the doors to let Cyrus come in. So you have the destruction now about in 530, 39 or so of, uh, of Babylon, 
and Cyrus comes in and takes over. And you have a new empire, Persia. So here it says, in the third year of Cyrus. So most of the field then, as far as the time is concerned, that it was around 536, 536 to 34, I find both dates. Well, about three years then after Cyrus had taken the city. <clears throat> I, Daniel, uh, I, Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, that is, Bel's prince, the protector of Bel. You remember they changed their name because they were brainwashed. Nebuchadnezzar didn't want Daniel to be thinking about his God. His name means God is my judge. Jehovah is my judge. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't want him to be thinking about that anymore. So he changed his name. It was brainwashing. We see it done so much today in, in uh, African countries and in many other countries. The government says, change the names of your children. If you've got Christian names, if you've got Western names, well, get rid of them. Go back and use native, national names. And this is exactly what happened to Daniel. He was brainwashed right when he was taken. As a young boy, as a young boy, uh, uh, some 15, 20 years of age. Now, look at this carefully. There's a textual problem here. You are taking notes. There's a textual problem here. If you've got a New American Standard, look at this carefully because it really makes quite a significant change. Makes quite a significant change. We're in chapter 10. We're in chapter 10. Verse 1. You who have the authorized, the King James, whose name was Belshazzar, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing, and he had understanding of the vision. Now, in your authorized version, you have the thing and the vision mentioned. Now, in the revised version, which most of them prefer, notice the difference. And the message was true. Instead of the thing, put in the margin of your Bible, message. It's much more expressive. It's much more expressive than thing. What thing? And the message was true. Now, in place of, in place of, But the time appointed was long. Put little parentheses around that. But the time appointed was long. The revised text, and put in the margin of your Bibles, NASV or RV, so it reminds you to look at another text. One of great conflict. The revised says that this was one, a message of great conflict. So instead of, but the time appointed was law, the revised puts it, there was a great conflict. And that's what, it's that uh, truth that we use to determine, to determine the title for this whole chapter. This chapter is dealing with a warfare. This chapter is dealing with a conflict, an angelic 
conflict. And the issue is around prayer. But it goes much beyond personal, personal prayer. Then we have Daniel where he is. He's in Idecal. I suppose that uh, Daniel was in his summer resort. Many of you have homes here in Memphis, and then on some beautiful lake you have a summer cottage. Uh, and uh, that was Daniel. Remember that Daniel now, when we come to the 10th uh, chapter, Daniel is a man of close to 80 years of age. Maybe a little over. 80, 85. <coughs> Daniel did not, Daniel did not go back to Palestine with Zerubbabel. You remember the first group that went back under Zerubbabel, and, uh, but Daniel did not go. Daniel did not go. Uh, why didn't he? I suppose he had responsibilities there in, uh, in Babylon, and then also because of his age. To go back to Palestine, where things were a bit rustic, uh, he would have—he uh, wouldn't have been any real help. <laughs> then there was a whole possibility of the long journey; it would take two or three months. It's a thousand miles from Babylon to Palestine, well, maybe a little over. And they didn't have uh, airplanes, you know. We came from Amarillo in just an hour or so. Well, but, uh, you know, you didn't travel like that in those days. It was walking, it was donkey, it was camelback. If any of you have written on donkeys, you realize that that's kind of hard. I'm an old man. Well, and uh, so he, uh, he stayed. Daniel did not come back. And this is where you have the whole, this gives you the whole setting of this picture. Now, verse 3, we're still talking about the setting. We've talked about the time. We've talked about the textual change. We've talked about the place. It's at the Tigris River. The Tigris River. It was at uh, Daniel's summer resort. He went away there to rest. He went away there probably just to relax. Uh, he went away there to pray to pray, to meditate, to reflect. Well, he was an old man, something like 80, 85 years of age. Well, he did not go back, he did not go back with Zerubbabel to Palestine. Now, verse 3, And I did not eat, verse 2, sorry, verse 2, In those days I, Daniel, had been mourning for three whole weeks. What was Daniel mourning about? What was Daniel mourning about? Daniel had heard. You see, Zerubbabel had gone back. Zerubbabel had gone back. And uh, Zerubbabel had, of course, found the city uh, destroyed, the gates burned, and uh, the situation in Jerusalem was certainly uh, left much to be desired. And they started immediately, you remember, to build the temple. Then there were some Samaritans around there that began to criticize and to write letters back to Babylon, back to Cyrus, and telling them that these Jews are rebuilding the city and they're going to rebel again, that they're an obstreperous uh, group. And uh, they refused to submit to, to Persia. And so Cyrus stopped the building. It wasn't Cyrus, but one of his aides stopped the building of the temple. Now, Daniel hears of this. Daniel hears of the tremendous difficulty and obstacles that Jerubbabel has and the people, the 50 or 60,000 that went back. So Daniel's there uh, in his summer home on the Tigris River was mourning three whole weeks. And he was praying to God that something, God would intervene, God would accomplish something. And he did, and he did. 
Dan was a tremendous man of prayer. Right? And then you have this whole experience. You have this whole experience then, of, of Dan right? because of spending these three whole weeks in prayer. And of course, Daniel was wondering, why? Why? This prayer wasn't answered. And this is most interesting, friends, that uh, here you have a reason why maybe your prayers aren't answered. Why your prayers aren't answered. It isn't because of anything of you. It isn't because of the, uh, it isn't because of the nature of your prayer. But there's an angelic impediment. There's an angelic hindrance here that stops the answer of your prayer. God was God answered it immediately. But in the answer coming to you, it was held up. It was held up. I know you all believe in uh, you all believe in guardian angels. Uh, I wish we knew more about what the role of angels is. And here's a chapter certainly that reveals this. Here's a chapter that reveals this. Small b then. The first was the setting. The first was the setting. Verses 1 to 4. Now, the vision and its effect. The vision that there was uh, it's possible that they change at verse 10. That from 4 to 9 is the person of Christ, and then Gabriel comes. Gabriel comes at verse 10. Uh, but uh, I'm inclined to think that it's not. That certain man is not the person of Christ. Now, when he sees this great angel, when Daniel sees this great image, this great vision, then what happens? Well, he falls on his face. He finds himself without all his confidence is gone. All his strength and vigor is gone. And he prostrates himself on the ground, face down. And then a hand comes and touches him. Hand comes and touches him and puts him on his knees, hands and on his knees. And then he says to him, verse 11, Behold, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand up. And then you remember he stands up and then he explains why. He explains why that the uh, whole experience, the prayer had not, had not been answered. Now with the remaining few minutes that we have, well, I want to make a personal application, a personal application of this first section of the, this great chapter to our own lives to our own lives. We're men. Most of us are Christians here this morning. We're praying men. But nevertheless, we become just like Daniel here. Exhausted. Weak. And, uh, God strengthens us. God strengthens us. <coughs> How does he do it? How does he do it? First, Daniel was a man after God's own heart. A man greatly beloved. I don't think there's any other man of, in the scriptures of whom this is said, that he was greatly beloved. 
Why was he greatly beloved? Chapter 1. That's the spiritual secret of Daniel's life. Daniel gave God top priority. He said, it isn't my friends. It isn't my need. It isn't my business associates. It isn't my boss that's going to determine what I am going to do and what I'm not going to do. <clears throat> One of the students at Mid-South Bible College, a little bit older, the age of many of you, he was working with a bank here in town, long business, and the bank was requiring him to do some things that were technically right but morally wrong. And he said, no. Can't recall his name right now, but you remember that man at uh, Holiday Inn <coughs> that has just uh, renounced his position. Why? What? Climber. Yes. Uh, now there's a man that did what? Just exactly what Daniel did. He purposed in his heart just to defile himself. He says, God is my judge. Not my business, not my responsibility, not my name, not my associates. God. Daniel was a man greatly beloved because of chapter 1, the secret. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. It wasn't in his head, it was in his heart. And that purpose controlled his whole life. Controlled his whole life. And so this angel says that the reason this prayer of yours wasn't that answered, because you didn't receive this answer or this prayer immediately, wasn't because of any sin in your life. You're greatly beloved. It says here in this chapter, he feared. Now, there's nothing wrong with fearing. There's nothing wrong with fearing. Fears are necessary. Fears are very, very helpful. You didn't fear <laughs> falling on the ice, you'd probably what? As you'd come a cropper. Fears are helpful. Fears of poisonous snakes. Fears are necessary. Fears are necessary. And Daniel feared. Uh, as Calvin says, God wishes fears to restrain us like a bride. Remember the psalmist says that they have no fear of God before their eyes. One of the things that impresses you is you see sin. You see men who sell dope to Teenagers. The thing that impresses you is what? That they don't have any fear of God before their eyes. All out just for an easy buck. What they're doing, how they're damaging young lives, never enters their head. That's their problem. They're interested. There was a man who feared God. But nevertheless, his prayers were not answered for 30, 21 days. Don't, don't be scared of 
Your fears can be very helpful. God grants us fears. They're necessary. They're necessary in our lives. The next thing we noticed about Daniel was man greatly beloved. He was a man of deep fervor. He was a man of deep fervor. He prayed earnestly. He prayed fastingly for these 21 days. And he could pray with fervor. Why? Because he knew the will of God. He knew that it was the will of God that those people returned to Palestine. He knew that it was their will that they reestablish themselves in that city, that they build the temple. Remember James saying, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. Then he gives that example of Elijah, who prayed and rained, he prayed again and it didn't rain. He knew the will of God. Why? What fervent? What warmth, what determination, what insistency, what importunity we can have in our prayers when we know, know the will of God. This was Daniel. He was a man greatly beloved, a man that had fears, but he used those fears to keep him in the straight and narrow path. He was a man of tremendous prayer, a firm because he knew, he knew the will of God. A man greatly beloved of the Lord. He was a man also of, of what? Of humility. Of great humility. Fear, prayer produces this humility. Here was Daniel when he saw this vision of the sovereign God. As he saw this vision of the God, the creator of heaven and earth. The high and holy one, the one who was rich in power. He fell on his face. Men, I suppose there is nothing that helps us more to establish our priorities than to get the right view of God. <clears throat> I say this often in classes, that every error of belief and behavior comes from a wrong concept of God. <clears throat> Why are men doing what they are? Why are these movies and these TV shows? Why all this problem with pornography? Why all this immorality? This worthlessness of morals. Men have a wrong concept of God. If anything we need as men is a right concept of God. God, yes, he is merciful. Yes, he is loving. He loved us and sent his own son to die upon the cross, take not only for us, but to take our place. He was our substitute. He died for us. That's true. But God is a consuming fire. God is righteous. God is holy. And he will not tolerate sin and rebellion. All oh, the great need, friends, is in your life and mine today. In this busy Russian world, is to get a new vision of God. Ha! Ah, and lift it up. Not a helpless babe in arms. Not a dead and crucified God on the cross. But one that's alive, sitting at the right hand of God, whose eyes are a flame of fire 
whose hands and legs are of brass, of judgment, whose voice is the voice of many waters, with authority. No one can brook it. No one can say him no. Need not only this vision of God, we need a right perspective of ourselves. This is the thing that, in all your sociology and all your psychology and so much of your religious subjects, that man is essentially good. All man needs a little education. All man needs is a little nicer house, a little better car, or this or that. He'll be all right. Just give him a little time. No, man isn't that. In me abides no good thing. We're sinners. We're rebellious. We're enemies. But that's all true, friends. But don't forget, don't forget that we're made in the image of God. We're noble beings. But until we get a proper perspective of God and a proper perspective of ourselves, and then a proper perspective of the world, we'll never realize. Our, what our priority truly is. Daniel had this, and he humbly, and when he saw this vision, he fell prostrate. When Peter realized there that catch of fish, you remember, and he realized that it was the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, depart from me. On that word, Isaiah, when he saw Isaiah 6, that glory of God, he says, Oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. This was Daniel, one of the greatest men, two men in the Bible, Joseph and Daniel, of whom they do not register any sin. But nevertheless, when he saw God, he fell down humbly before his presence. Then the angel came and touched him, uh, put him on his hands, and then stood him and said, Yes, you are. You are. A man, greatly beloved. He strengthened Daniel. He strengthened Daniel. And just so, friend. Most of us are Christians here. Most of us at times are frustrated just like Daniel. But with all our fear, with all our difficulty, we can trust that there's a God who hears our prayer. A God who sees us. Thou, God, seest me. And that if we will humbly come to him, he strengthens us. He strengthens us. He puts us back on our feet, back into fellowship with himself. He gives us that invisible, inexhaustible power to go on to face the trials and the difficulties of this world. This is one of the great chapters out of prayer. And be patient. Maybe your prayers haven't been answered just as quickly. It's because they had difficulty coming through the satanic realm. And they were held up by some prince, a 
of sin. That looks like we'll discuss how that the spiritual world, so the background to the physical, how that what happens here is just a repercussion of what happens in the air. There's an invisible world of the forces of darkness and the forces of Lord, help and strengthen us today throughout all our activities. Watch over and protect us. Make us a blessing, we pray. These things, Lord, we ask in thy name. Amen. Our Father, oh, our hearts have been challenged. Oh, our hearts have been blessed by meditating upon this portion of thy word today. Lord, we just pray that you will take your word strengthen and encourage, rebuke, convict, and comfort and console each one who is here tonight. Bless us, we go our various ways. Keep us from harm and accident. In thy name we ask you. Amen. Amen. Amen.